truth is the authority. All right, first thing, bring your A-game because I'll take nothing less. I mean, we don't need more regulations. We need far less of that. We're going to have an open and honest discussion, but the numbers are what matter. The facts matter. Forget about the Republicans and the Democrats for a minute. Let's talk about the people. I've lived the American dream, and I want so many more people to be able to live the American dream. My show is what it says. It's common sense. We've jettisoned political correctness. It's principles and policies that work for everybody. I just want to talk about how to fix this country. The David Webb Show. can define a happy new year is having peter marisi back on the show you should follow him as i do on twitter at p marisi one economist national columnist emeritus professor at uh, umd uh, robert h school of business and peter we've got one thing at the top of the table here which is fixing biden's china policy but your new piece on interest rates is we is definitely on our I list. I preempted myself, huh? <laughs> you, you preempted. I mean, it's January 5th, and here's Peter Marisi. That, that's a very important topic. But let's start with the China policy. And first, Happy New Year, my friend. Great to have you back. Nice to be back. Happy New Year. So let's dive right in. You know, Xi Jinping, right, reigning in Chinese capitalism, that's been talked about, curbing tech giants, uh, you know, steering money flows, setting tighter limits on profits. And here we have the Biden-China policy versus Xi Jinping's view of China policy. So where are we? How, what, what's broken? What needs to be fixed? Well, I mean, uh, China policy has many components. One of, part of its trade and investment, part of it's the defense of Taiwan, uh, part of it is, um, you know, our relations with our allies. Uh, with regard to trade and investment, we do need to disengage from China. And, you know, whenever they talk about Trump's tariffs, they say, oh, it's causing all kinds of inflation. It was a one-time pop to the extent it was. I mean, one time the price of the goods go up. After that, that's it. It's zero. Now, uh, we have to recognize that disengaging from China, Bobby dolls are going to cost more. And we're going to have to invest in other places to do that. At the same time, we can't disengage unless we engage with our allies in the region. We don't want them trading with China either, but we can't tell them not to trade with China, especially the Japanese. They, they're like the, the Germans. They make so much money there. We have to give them an alternative. And Japan's been saying, hey, you started the Trans-Pacific Partnership, then walked away. Join up. Become part of this trade agreement. So we should do that. The second thing is we need to reorient our military in the Pacific so that it better addresses the China challenge. The kind of Navy we have is not agile enough. Uh, we're very vulnerable to land-based missiles and so forth. We need smaller ships. We need maneuverability and so forth. And Lloyd Austin you know, Montgomery used to say Eisenhower was the, the best clerk he ever had. And that was really a slander on Eisenhower. He was a great leader. But, you know, Lloyd Austin may be the best clerk that Joe Biden ever had. He's a real bureaucrat. You know, in, a year into the job, his military review comes up with, I think they're going to build a bigger runway at Guam or something, which is 1,500 miles away from Taiwan. 
That is not the kind of reorientation we need. Other candidates for defense secretary had better ideas, and they had ideas. I haven't heard Lloyd Austin give me any ideas. But, you know, he he, uh, he fits the identity politics screen that they use for nominations over there. And uh, also, the Wokies, the, 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 the squad and so forth, don't want to spend any more money on defense. This is a big-ticket item. If we want to defend our interests in the Pacific, we have to recognize the Chinese are spending a lot of money. We can't do dollar-for-dollar comparisons because our military has this huge pension program that no one wants to reform. And so it's a big-ticket item. We're going to have to deal with it. Industrial policy, another area. I didn't mention that in the first round. We need to match them on semiconductors and things like that. We have a $250 billion package in the Senate that's passed, and the House isn't paying any attention because they're too busy with Build Back America. This deals with issues like rebuilding our semiconductor industry. The Japanese have just started a program to do the very same thing. The Europeans are starting a program to do the very same thing. But our president is worried about paid family leave, election reform, and telling America that everything he does will cost zero. I mean, the only zero I can see in the White House is the occupant of the Oval Office. Uh, You know, so you, you have those things. And finally, there's Taiwan. Taiwan is not a terribly defensible place, and it, 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 it in a lot of ways mirrors the problems we have in the Ukraine. But we have to make it clear to the Chinese that if they attack Taiwan, okay, they're attacking us. They want a naval war with the United States of America. We'd be happy to accommodate. We might not be able to get close to Taiwan with our Navy because of its land-based missiles, But we don't have to let any oil out of the Persian Gulf to the Chinese. We don't have to let their food imports get through. And if if things are going to depend entirely on Russia, good luck. Uh, That's not going to work out very well. My feeling is, is that China has a lot of vulnerabilities. Joe Biden and company aren't willing to play the cards they have. And they're not willing to modernize in the ways that we need to modernize. A lot of this has to do with their... IOUs that they think they have to the left. Somehow they think they're in the Oval Office because of, of the left. And it's not hard to see why that is, because all of his political appointees are from the hard left. So they tell him, oh, you owe us this. You know, they don't, he really doesn't owe them, but he behaves that way. Because after all, the people at the AFL-CIO and the people at Black Lives Matters and all the rest are really pacifists. They like a lot what they see in China. It's the kind of place they'd like to have. After all, look at look at what China's doing in Hong Kong and look at Democrats' election reforms. Look at how they're gerrymandering New York and California. They don't like elections very well. China has no elections. So it's the golden standard. But basically, um, that's my feeling, is, is that we are being pinned down by the left. We can't sign a trade agreement with anybody else because, after all, President Biden has to go over to the AFL-CIO for a permission slip to talk about trade with outsiders. You know, China is moving forward on their unrestricted warfare approach. They all all elements are on the table, economic, military. They're even making moves on Indian territory. They've renamed it uh, in Mandarin. So they're expanding. And your point about Taiwan's well taken. A question, Peter, on 
divesting, something you've heard me say, we should divest of China in many ways. Economically, it takes time. We know that. doesn't happen overnight for various and reasons, including supply lines. And it, you're right, and it has caused. It's going to cost it, it. It's a big ticket item. Right, you know, it is. And, and I believe it's a price we, we need to pay in some areas because the longer term, right, you know, we look longer than five years, 10 years or an election cycle. But divest and diversification, those two words together, capacities otherwhere, like semiconductors, right? There was a time when applied materials made 85% of the silicon wafers for computers in Austin, Texas. Their clean rooms were being built out. You know, we've got to diversify. Do you see diversification by industries that allow us to eventually somehow divest a little bit more from China? Yeah, I do. I, I think we can. We can get out of the chip business in China without too much difficulty. It costs money. Or a lot of the smaller items that we get from there, the stuff at Walmart, that can be moved. Uh, it's a matter of putting in place the right incentives. And I've talked about that in my articles at various times, using something more creative than these sweeping tariffs. Uh, I think that we can do that. Uh, and, and, and I think it, it's not as costly as we think it will be because there are China is going to be an increasingly expensive place to do business because its population is declining and its labor force is declining. Its population is not declining. Its labor force is declining. And um, there are other places in Asia where there are plenty of people to do the work. I mean, do we honestly believe it is essential that Barbie dolls be sourced in China? It's just that businesses get used to doing things a certain way. So you have to whack them on the fanny to get them to change. I can provide the baseball bat. I can provide the paddle. Uh, So I, I think it's possible. I mean, there are investments over there. People have been warned. For example, I would feel bad for General Motors. They weren't warned. They went over there long before, you know, the Congress brought into the brought into the notion that China really is an enemy. But Tesla, Tesla's actively courting those people, expanding production to export to Europe in 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 um, in, 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 in in China. My feeling is if they take losses because of this, I don't care. Because they were warned. We, we, the State Department said to them, look, you've got to start to think about the reputational consequences of continued investment and in sourcing in China. And he went ahead and did it anyway. So fine. If Mr. Musk takes a loss, it's not, I'm not going to lose any sleep if his kids only inherit $150 billion instead of $400 billion. Just no, not going to lose any point. sleep. Good point. And by the way, Why speaking of I resources. Why should I Mr. Musk? Speaking of resources in Tesla, Peter, just a, a, not a minor point, but a point to make on this. What was Elon Musk watching? He has a lot of influence, especially with the left and the Biden administration. To what extent? He has lobbyists. He can hire them. But lithium, which is key to the making of electric car batteries of so much of our technology. You go to Nevada alone. We have got in this country immense supplies of lithium that could be mined, which would draw us away from Chinese control of a key element. Yeah, well, the basic problem we have there is Biden doesn't want to take on the environmentalists. You know, you can decide on Monday to mine lithium in, in, in China and you get your project going by Friday. You can decide in 2022 to start, a li- to start mining lithium in Nevada and maybe get your project going in 2032. That's the problem. Yeah, you're, uh, you're absolutely you know, correct. Now, there are ways to deal with that and still respect the environment. One of them is to have to, you have to consolidate all claims. You have to say, hey, look, we're going to have whatever environmental claims you have, 
whatever labor claims you have, you have to bring them forward in the next year. And they'll be heard in the court. And we'll deal with them. Okay? But instead what they do is they take projects to a succession of courtrooms. Like, for example, Norway right now wants to drill in the Arctic. I know this is not American, but it's a great example. Okay? So now they lost in the Norwegian courts on environmental issues. So now they're taking them to the European courts on human rights issues. That Drilling in the Arctic is now a human rights issue. Uh, that may be a bogus claim, but it's going to burn up time in the European courts. It's just going to burn time. Whenever, you know, the administration is, is sympathetic towards developing natural resources, the eyes just light up at, over the Environmental Defense Fund because they know, and they've even expressed this, the courts are time machines. They burn up time. We have to do something about that. A lot of stuff is more expensive to do in the United States, not because of environmental protection, but because of environmentalist abuse. And this needs to be called out, and it needs to be called out by a Democratic president. Now, all of these things, and then they're standing up to the Russians in the Ukraine and doing something about Iran and the Taliban and so forth. The problem is we have a low-energy president. You know, some guys in their 70s could be president of the United States and run Tesla on the side. I think I have the energy to do that. Probably you do. Uncle Joe does not. I mean, I'd like to know how many of the bad decisions that people keep calling him on are made by his subordinates while he is napping. You know, and a scary part of that is unqualified people, incompetence, and unqualified the Secretary of not Commerce, having the USTR, the Secretary of Defense, all three Tra- of them are role players. Well, they transportation. Players. We have, have a supply chain crisis, and we no have somebody who has no experience. What? Yeah. No, I was talking about supply chain crisis, transportation, and Pete Buttigieg hasn't talked to anyone or doesn't have the experience. He might be worse than Elaine Chow in the job, and that's my view of it. You know, Peter, I, I want to file this for a future conversation with you because uh, I thought of it as you were discussing Norway and the courts and abroad, the economics of the Americas. That could be the title of your next article, The Economics of the Americas, as we see socialism growing, Peru and Chile. Uh, we look at what's going on in those countries, what that could do to the economics of the Americas, including China's influence, by the way, there. But that said, all right, there we go. Next article with Pete Morisi. Wait for it. It's coming out pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> now he's let, telling me what to write. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my editor tells me, me so. Blue book exam. Peter, here's the question. Here's the blue book. She got 45 minutes. This is 20% of your grade in the course. Man, that's my job, not your job. You've been doing it to me for years. <laughs> you know how many times I finish a show and I have to sit there and go back and read articles? Okay, Pete Marie, I got to follow up on this. I need to learn more. So now I'm turning it on you, Professor. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome the, to do that. Suggestions are always welcome. <laughs> the, the, the Federal Reserve, this just dropped your piece on the Federal Reserve and interest rates. And, uh, you know, there's another piece you had out yesterday on uh, Republicans on focus on America that offers opportunity. But the Federal Reserve, inflation, inflationary pressures, what's going on right now? What should Jerome Powell be doing? Well, my feeling is is that inflation is he's really gotten behind the curve on inflation very briefly. He's printed too much money, and now we're in a situation where it's causing uh, causing a lot of inflation. 
As a consequence, I think that we really ought to be moving ahead with tightening very rapidly. And that would mean ending the asset purchases as opposed to just phasing them down, beginning the process of raising interest rates, and even starting to some some sales of, 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 of mortgage-based securities. I mean, the forecast for next year is another 17% depreciation in the housing market. That's not doing young people any good. Basically, these low interest rates are driving up the cost of land. Uh, and I don't think in the long run that's going to serve the country very well. The real problem with housing, and we're papering it over with low interest rates, are all the zoning requirements in the big cities like, uh, say, in Manhattan, for example. Uh, But they should basically be tightening up. There's not much they can do about the supply chain, but giving people too much money to spend to chase too few goods is not a good strategy for stabilizing the dollar. And we have to recognize that all this inflation is a big reason why wages are not keeping up with prices. And so instead of making inequality less of a problem, the Federal Reserve is making it more of a problem. Now, let's go back to our previous conversation and look at who he wants to send over there. He wants to send over there three economists whose backgrounds really aren't in monetary policy, but have been dedicated to other things in recent years and are basically beholding to the left and believe that easy money is good for workers. Easy money is not good for workers. It's very inflationary. What it is good is for the union movement because unions tend to do a better job for workers than ordinary employees do in negotiating when there's inflation. So inflation creates a good organizing environment. So what he is doing is, and this is the old story of welfare, the way welfare works is the guys that run the program get the donut and the people that are starving get the hole inside. This is about helping the AFL-CIO organize people so they can deliver voters for Democrats. It's not about helping workers. This inflationary program fits into this whole puzzle of we're doing this in the name of the working people, but in reality is they're doing it in the name of the executive class, the people like Catherine Ty and uh, – Uh, Lloyd Austin and so forth, who get the jobs and benefit when the Democrats get in and get their programs. The people in AOC's district are not appreciably better off, but rather they are worse off because Joe Biden has been president with the Democratic Congress for the last year. It's that dumb simple. If they would sit back and ask themselves, Are we better off than we were a year ago? She would not be able to get reelected. It's that simple. But they don't. I can't do anything about that, but they don't. Um, Well, you know, you speak of Catherine Ty and the Democratic Party. Did you know that? There's an awful lot of information out there that that the the Hispanic vote is shifting. They're trying to sell them on the notion that they are a discriminated minority where they're making great progress. They're making great progress in this country, but not thanks to Joe Biden's economic policies. They're, they're making it harder for them, not easier. And it's going to get harder on the people who don't even realize it until one Here's day they wake up you. and they get hit harder. The, a lot, uh, the of, them, lower a lot of Hispanics are leaving the hospitality industry. It's an entry-level job. You, know, you go in there and you become a waiter. At Marriott, you don't move up very well from one of those jobs. So they move over and get out. 
all of this, the wokey stuff that Joe Biden is doing is not helping that. It's not changing that. What it does create are these uh, diversity and uh, whatever offices in big corporations, diversity and equality initiatives or something, and that creates jobs for the executive class. The left-wingers that go to Swarthmore College get those jobs, and they needle executives about their action. It doesn't help those immigrants. It doesn't. They are helping themselves. Basically, Joe Biden, AOC, and the squad are a barrier to their progress. Absolutely. No question about it. They are making their dream harder to attain. If you want to kill the American dream, vote Democratic. If you hate your son, vote Democratic. It's just not, they're just not good people. They're just not good people. Professor, I love it. And by the way, I did update from a blue book to the remarkable tablet because I have to keep up electronically yeah. with you from now well, on. Well, so. <laughs> in the end, in the end, I didn't use blue books. You know, they come in multiple colors. They come in green and they come in pink. So I was giving out pink for a while, you know, <laughs> because they said, well, you know, they, we ought to be in line with the university. So we're going to use pink books. We use pink books. On, on a serious note, well. they come in several colors. One, you know what? One of the reasons is students would smuggle blue books into 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 exams. Ah, see you. That's so what, the trick. You can't the fool trick is, <laughs> I've got. That's the other line. I've got to run. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Think about that. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Peter Marisi, economist, national columnist, emeritus professor at UMD Robert H. Smith School of Business. And I'm serious about that piece on the economics of the Americas. You, you see Chile, Peru, you see the rewriting of Marxist constitution, system structures, electing a socialist president in Honduras. The Americas and the Caribbean, not separate from us economically and China's influence. We'll get into it with the professor. Quick break, 866-95-PATRIOT, 957-2874. I'll be right back.